0: So I'll say some fundamental stuff. So it takes just as much effort and energy to get a singular sale as it does to get repeat business over and over again. So you can either be in the transaction business or you can be in the relationship business. So whenever you're selling anything to anyone, don't just try to sell them something once. Try to develop and sell a relationship because the lifetime value of a client, you know, this is Jay Abraham, who's a great marketer, a good friend of mine. He said you do not know how much you can afford to spend to acquire a client until and unless you know how much they're actually worth to you. So, you know, how much do you spend to acquire a client? The biggest lesson that people I think would be helpful when it relates to marketing is the number one reason why most people don't do good with marketing is they undervalue the importance of it. Almost 50% of the cost of any product or service usually goes to what it costs to actually sell it. And that's if the person selling it has their act together. And most people really don't know what to do. So the first is selling relationships, not transactions. The second is direct response marketing. Whatever sort of messaging you're putting out into the world, make sure that you uh, give people the ability to get a response back.
1: Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields, like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership, to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. Before we get started, I wanted to share two important things with you. First, I want you to implement what you learned today. To do that, you'll have to take a lot of notes, but I also want you to fully concentrate on the interview, so I asked the team to take notes for you. Just text NOTES to 888-526-1299. That's 888-526-1299, and you'll receive a link to download the notes from today's episode. Also, if you haven't got your copy of my newest book, Elevate, please go check it out. I'll share with you how I attracted and developed a winning team that helped me build a $200 million company in 22 states. Just go to elevateandwin.com forward slash podcast to get your copy. Now let's go back into the interview.
0: Welcome everyone to the I Love Marketing Zoom, the I Love Marketing Live. This is going to be a podcast episode for I Love Marketing, but we're doing multiple things here. So last month, I did an amazing interview with Tommy Mello. So he is the founder of uh, a one garage. If you've not seen that episode, I will ask Gina to post it in the, uh, in the chat zoom. So you can watch it. Uh, many of you have though, cause I am looking and I know some of you saw that it was great. And so you're running a gigantic company. Your company's now valued at a billion dollars, which is pretty amazing and awesome. And he wanted to do an interview with me for his podcast, which is called home service expert, home service expert. So, uh, by the end of this, Subscribe to that, especially if you're in the service business because he's one of the top in the world, not like in the area, in the country, in the world. Uh, so Tommy is amazing, and he's gonna interview me. I'm like, let's just uh, do the I love marketing live that we we do and we'll try this. And so if this is a really awesome event today, it's because I happen to say something and I pieced words together that hopefully are useful and meaningful. And if not, it's not his fault. It's all my fault. So I will turn it over to you. And this is going to be you interviewing me for your podcast.
1: Yes, sir. Thank all you, right. Well, the way I start out the podcast is I'm Tommy Mello, home service expert. Today, I'm in Tempe, Arizona. Been in this office about a decade ago. And I'm interviewing, in my mind, in most people's minds, one of the top networkers, period, in the country and in the world, uh, I was walking up. You got Joe standing next to Jeff Bathos. I mean, he hangs out with Richard Branson. It's crazy how connected he is. And I, I said, I'm going to Vegas the other day. He's like, you got to go talk to Chris Voss. Never split the difference. And I came to one of the genius, a part of the genius network and uh, just meeting top bestseller after bestseller, you name it. He knows him. He's an expert in marketing, sales coaching, networking. He's the founder of Genius Network, 2006 to present. Piranha Marketing started in 1994. I know he doesn't look at age over 30. Uh, 10X Talk co-founder, 2012 to present. I Love Marketing started in 2009. Amazing uh, to present. He's killing it on YouTube, over 115,000 subscribers. Joe Paulus is the founder of Genius Network, one of the biggest high-level groups in the world for entrepreneurs. He also... Curates the annual Genius Network event and the 100K group. Genius Network and the 100K is home of some of the most successful entrepreneurs alive. Joe has also helped thousands of businesses and generated hundreds of millions of dollars for his clients. He's been featured in Inc., Fortune, Forbes, among lots of many others. Joe also hosts three of the top-ranked marketing and business podcasts, including I Love Marketing, 10X Talk, and Genius Network. And one of the greatest things he does is he gives back. Uh, He's a recovering addict and um, there's not much he hasn't done. I've never talked to him about sniffing glue, but pretty much everything out there, Joe has done. And I think he's going to share an amazing story. He's spoken the last two events I've had. He's going to be at the big event in November called freedom. And I just wanted Joe to be part of my circle. I want to be part of his circle and the wealth of knowledge, the marketing, the coolest thing about it is he started in the home service space. Uh, Why don't you tell us in the beginnings, just you could start in high school, just how you had to turn your life around and then just how you started dominating home service.
0: Yeah. So it's to me, uh, first off, it's great to be here and uh, there's a lot we can talk about. So Uh, And when I hear a bio of myself that says all these great things, I I also want to preface it that uh, having grown up with low self-esteem and low self-worth, it oftentimes is hard to take in accomplishments. And so over the years, I've really tried to think, wow, I worked really hard. I did a lot of stuff and and some things have worked and and there's a lot of things that haven't worked. So uh, when I started out in business, I was a carpet cleaner. And the reason I got into that business, I was a addict uh, in high school. I was a cocaine addict. And at my worst state, I weighed 105 pounds from a free basing Uh, cocaine. There was one week where I just didn't eat anything and I got as low as 105 pounds. And so I moved away and went to college in New Mexico State University, lived in a trailer with my father for a couple of years, mainly to get sober, not really to go to college. I just happened to go to college while I was there. I never got a degree in anything, but I did start exercising and working out and I started doing sales. And as you know, It doesn't matter how technically skilled you are. If you don't know how to sell something, that's challenging. So I got a little bit of sales training by selling gym memberships. Then I got a job in a literally a mental hospital, and I would drive the patients to AA meetings, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous meetings, and I would sit there as an employee. And I would listen to these people with just the most difficult challenges. And that was my first exposure to community because I grew up a very shy, introverted, scared person. Never thought I'd teach anything to anyone. I didn't want to public speak. I mean, I was, uh, it was hard to even ask someone out on a date, let alone present myself in front of groups. So I came back to Arizona trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do with my life. I had a friend I went to high school with that said, you know, I work for this carpet cleaning business. I run the phone room. And the guy that's the owner of it, he is a uh, alcoholic, but he did $600,000 of business last year. And I was like, my God, that's a tremendous amount of money. So he's like, you want to go into a carpet cleaning business and I'll set up the phone room. We'll hire some you know, employees after we get it going and uh, then we'll build a big business. And so I took the $1,500, which is all the money I had to my name. I bought a portable steam cleaner and I got business cards that per- said professional carpet and upholstery cleaner, whatever that means. Right. And this was back in literally late 1989, early 1990. And I start this business with this guy. Uh, His name was Sean. And he was getting drunk every night also, even though he worked for a guy that was an alcoholic. And so after about two months of just painful trying to get anything done with him, I took his name off the business account. And here I was stuck with this uh, chemicals and equipment and business cards and said I was a professional. That preceded two years of pure hell. In misery, going thirty thousand dollars in debt, trying to figure out how to make this business work. So, back in at that point in time, that was a lot of money, thirty thousand dollars. And so, what I ended up doing was I I had this entrepreneurial fantasy that I must be a business owner. I want to do this sort of stuff, and you know, I think my friend Gary Halbert, who I ultimately learned marketing from, he says the world advances on the backs of its neurotics. And there's many ways that you can go broke. And one of the dumbest ways to go broke is doing hard physical manual labor. And I, not only was I doing hard physical manual labor every day, I was paying money to do that. I was going into debt to do that. And I think there is a distinction between people that are willing to work through very difficult, hard times and people that just have an entitlement attitude and want things to be easy. Like today, I teach easy, lucrative, and fun versus hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating you have L versus half. But in the beginning, I had nothing in my life that was easy, lucrative, and fun. It was all hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. Sometimes it can be hard, annoying, lucrative, and frustrating. So I have this chemicals and equipment, and I'm just annoyed. And one day I have a friend named uh, Pat that I – I have another friend named Pat who actually is here in the building with me right now. But this is a guy that I also went to high school with, and he calls me up, and he's like, do you want to go – you know, jet skiing this week. I have a, a really wealthy friend who's a big oh, real, real estate nice investor. Story. Yeah, this is a good story to actually share with anyone in business, but especially people in service businesses. And, and my friend said, you want to go jet skiing and at Seguro Lake, which is a lake out here in Arizona. And when you're broke, you don't have a lot of motivation, let alone any discretionary income to do anything. I'm literally almost starving at this point in my life. And I am working my ass off trying to figure out how to make it work. And he said to me, uh, "You know, you want to go jet skiing?" I'm like, "Nah, you know, I got a lot of work this week, and I'm just trying to make it work." And I was starting to go to night classes to learn how to get my Series sixty three and Series seven license, so I could be a stockbroker because I had to get out of this carpet cleaning business. I was trapped; it wasn't working. I didn't like it, but I didn't have any other options. So I'm like, "I'm going to try to figure out what else to do." So uh, I tell my friend, "I, you know, I can't go." But he mentioned he had this wealthy friend that had this this business, and so. I said, well, you know, yeah, maybe I'll come out and go jet skiing with you guys for a little bit. Cause I was like, maybe I could talk to the rich guy and he can give me some advice. So I drive my piece of crap pickup truck out to Segura Lake. It's hot as hell in the middle of summer in Arizona, like it is right now that time we're recording this. And I have a chance to sit on the tailgate of a pickup truck with this rich guy and my friend Pat and this rich guy's other friend were out on the two jet skis. And so I said to him, I said, I hear you do really well in business. And I have a small carpet cleaning business. And I'm looking to get into another uh, business because uh, it's just a really difficult business. And I was wondering if you have any advice on what sort of industry I could go into. And he said, well, is there anyone in this business that you're in that's making money? And I said, well, there's a couple of companies in you know, the Phoenix area that do over a million a year. And that's a lot of money to me. And he said, well, if there's other people that are making money in this business and in the industry you're in and you're not, there's nothing wrong with the business you're in. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, no, I've gotten certified and I'm trained. A lot of these companies do bait and switch advertising and I do a really good job. I care about people, but they've been established for a long time and it's, it's difficult. And he said, look, young man, he goes, if you, and I also told him that I had spent, you know, the last couple of years getting certified. I told him about that. And he said, Well, look, young man, you're like most people. You think the grass is always greener on the other side. And he goes, if you think you're going to go into another business or another industry without learning how to make a business work, you're going to repeat the same bad business habits that have caused you to be a failure like you're having right now in your own business. And I was like, Well, shit, that's not the motivational talk that I wanted. And I still made excuses. I said, Well, yeah, but a lot of these companies that have been around a while, they're willing to, you know, do things ethically that I'm not willing to do. They do high-pressure selling. He goes, Look he goes, what you need to do is you need to learn fundamental business skills. If you can learn how to make a business work, uh, then you can take those skills anywhere. He goes, if you try to learn the skills of another industry, you're going to spend another six months, another year, another two years learning the technical skills of another business. So you can go out and repeat the same bad business habits that have caused you to be a failure in this one. So that really, he wasn't giving me, I don't remember this guy's name. At the time, this was the most instrumental conversation I'd ever had with anyone else that changed the trajectory of my business. So I, I now call those types of people or events or books, dominoes, the first dominoes. So he, and it's the whole, when the, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, he didn't say anything that probably someone else was not saying to me or books that I was reading or cassette tapes. Cause back then there were no, there's no internet. I mean, I was listening to Nightingale Conant programs and cassette tapes and things like that. But what I did when he said that to me, I made a commitment that I am not going to get out of this business to I figure out how to make work. And I said, I live in America. I have a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of stress. I'm a neurotic person. I was, you know, recently a, you know, a full-blown drug addict a couple of years prior. And my life was hard, but I was a hard worker. And I had this drive and I had this dream and I had this vision. So I I kind of used it as a game where I said, you know, there are other people that are making more money than me. They know something that I don't know. What the hell do they know? And how do I figure it out? And that's when I started reading. That's when I really made the, and let me say this, Tommy, I know I'm going on a rant here. People care about things. Everyone here that's watching us, listening to this, people we're going to talk to if we have, you know, family members, team members, everyone talks about how much they care. We all care. But how committed are you? To doing something, there's a big difference between caring and being committed. Yeah, I care about being in great physical shape. I care about eating healthy. I care about you know my business practices and in my marketing. But am I committed to learning how to do it better? So I made a commitment after that trip, and I said I'm going to figure out how to make this work. And my business that I hated became a lab rat experiment for me to say let's figure out what works and what doesn't work. And that's when I really started reading. I didn't have the solutions to my problems yet, which was how to get business. That came later, but it only came later because my mind was open. And I, I now realize that, okay, I'm going to figure out how to make this work. I'm not going to give myself an escape hatch because we all have escape hatches. We all have rationalizations. Everyone, including myself, we all have alibis. Every time I blame, every time I say I can't do something, and I do it all the time. We all do it as humans. What I did though, is I quit doing it in that context there. And I was like, I'm going to figure out how to make this business work. And with that, I became receptive to all of the available resources. Like anyone that's in service business, you can and will transform their life with what you present to them. You're not going to do it for them. You're just going to give them a plan and a path. It's their choice to pick it up and do something with it. And that guy gave me that sort of insight and awareness, but it required the effort. I still worked my ass off. I still had a lot to learn. Uh, But I started, uh, a friend gave me a newsletter on marketing, on direct response marketing, and I read it and it totally changed the way I thought of marketing. And then I started becoming a student of marketing and I realized there's no relationship between being good and getting paid. You can be really good at what you do and there's no relationship between getting paid. There's a huge relationship between being good, being a good marketer and getting paid. But I didn't even know what marketing was at that point in time. Uh, I had to learn that. And so today, you know, There's billions of dollars that have been made. Uh, We're sitting next to two giant shelves. I brought these up there. People online might not be able to see those, but there are these—you know—there's probably I don't know 150 binders that are on these shelves. And so what I did is I turned my carpet cleaning business around by creating education-based marketing. And then in nineteen, end of 1994, I started teaching it to other carpet cleaners. And by 1997, I was voted the uh, Clean Facts, which was the largest trade magazine at the time back in the 90s, uh, the person of the year. And I was on the cover of the Australian magazines, the UK magazine, New Zealand magazine. I became the most well-known person in the world in the carpet cleaning industry that would never get me dates and bars or anything. But it, it it actually, a lot of people knew who I was. And I started teaching what I learned to other carpet cleaners. So I not only transformed my service business, I actually started helping other people do that. And that's very similar to what you've done. You figured it out for you and now you are teaching other people. I mean, I think sitting here right now talking about that is a byproduct of you having learned a tremendous amount of stuff and you just want to share it with other people.
1: Well, you're talking about a business with hardly anything in 1992 to be famous for that career in 1997. That's five years. What were the basics that you just said? Okay, you studied marketing. You started reading. Readers are leaders. Networking. Obviously, you networked to be in the top UK. But what were the five main lessons you took that you said, "Man, I wish I would have known this before"? You've got a lot of marketing. You know, even when you you took a picture of the Valpak, and you're like, "You need to let people learn about the product, where they call in and listen about it." Right. But give me your top five, and I think these things are still true to this day.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'll say some fundamental stuff. So it takes just as much effort and energy to get a singular sale as it does to get repeat business over and over again. So you can either be in the transaction business or you can be in the relationship business. So whenever you're selling anything to anyone, don't just try to sell them something once. Try to develop and sell a relationship because the lifetime value of a client, You know, this is Jay Abraham, who's a great marketer, a good friend of mine. He said, you do not know how much you can afford to spend to acquire a client until and unless you know how much they're actually worth to you. So, you know, how much do you spend to acquire a client? The biggest lesson that people I think would be helpful when it relates to marketing is the number one reason why most people don't do good with marketing is they undervalue the importance of it. Almost 50% of the cost of any product or service usually goes to what it costs to actually sell it. And that's if the person selling it has their act together. And most people really don't know what to do. It. So the first is selling relationships, not transactions. The second is direct response marketing. Whatever sort of messaging you're putting out into the world, make sure that you uh, give people the ability to get a response back. Uh, when you, When I was going to college, I ended up going to a community college and I failed owning and operating uh, a small business. Uh, and I got a C minus in principles of marketing, which is really funny. And that was Chandler, the highly esteemed Chandler Gilbert community college. And they would show examples of branding and big companies like Coca-Cola, and you know, just big GE and brands back in those days. Now you got probably one of the most well known brands, uh, is, you know, Coca-Cola, which is pretty much liquid Satan. And then you have Apple and things like that. Uh, but Small businesses don't have the budget. They don't have the ad budget to, you know, advertise a service business like your Louis Vuitton or like your Rolex or, right. you know, you, there's not going to do it. And so you have to put messaging out there that really speaks to the title of my latest book, which is what's in it for them. You know, people don't care about you. They don't care how much you work and especially you had to figure out how to successfully sell something that nobody wants to buy. Nobody wakes up every day and says, man, I really hope that the garage door breaks. I hope the cat pees in the corner. I hope the husband spills his coffee. Uh, You know, I hope the kids drag mud through, you know, the living room. You know, I had to figure out how to successfully sell something nobody wants to buy. So I had to figure out how to speak with an emotional language where you're using headlines and you're using offers. And so you can either be a world-class copywriter like You know Roy Williams of ads, right? Who has this magic ability? But if you don't have those skills, what you can do is you can educate people. And so one of the first things I did, and and here's what, so you can call this a third one, uh, is any problem in the world can be solved at the right sales letter, as a quote by Gary Halbert. And so when I learned that words can have someone, you know, fall in love with you or hate you motivate you, repel, attract. I mean, there's, you know, my favorite definition of selling is getting someone intellectually and get in this from Dan Sullivan, getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them and getting them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result. And so when I'll say that to people, like think of selling, getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result with the keywords good for them, Because there are ways to get people intellectually engaged in a future result that's bad for them, like eat this crappy food, watch this porn. I mean, there's all kinds of toxic things that are sold to people. But when you really care about humans, getting someone intellectually engaged in a future result that's good for them and getting them to emotionally commit to take action to achieve that result you start wording your marketing uh, more importantly. And the difference between selling and marketing is selling is what you do when you're on the phone or face-to-face with somebody. Marketing is what you do to get someone on the phone or face-to-face with you properly positioned so by the time you're talking to them, they're pre-interested, pre-motivated, pre-qualified, and predisposed to do business with you. And I've said that a thousand times. People that listen to my podcast, they've heard me say that. Definition, Over and over again, but I've had enough people say to me, thank you for the reminder. And I I actually have to remind myself, too. So my good friend, uh, Robert Cialdini, who wrote the book Influence, I just went to on Sunday this week. I mean, a few days ago, I went to uh, breakfast with him and his uh, wife and then a couple of my friends because we had done a, a two day event on how to use A.I., and then we also went to dinner. So I spent pretty much most of the day with Robert Cialdini. And he's the father of influence. He wrote this amazing book that I read early on in my career. He wrote it 30 years ago. And it's brilliant. It's, it's how to persuade people with reciprocity and social proof. And he has these... liking. Exactly. Yeah, the seven principles. The latest one uh, called unity, right? Because if you think about your group, uh, home service freedom. And I, you know, there is a belonging. People don't buy from you because they understand what you do, people buy from you because they feel understood. Nobody wants to hire service businesses. Some things are bought, other things are sold. Like people wake up and they buy food, they go to movies, other things. you need to sell stuff to them and And I landed in an accidental industry where i didn't you know when I was a kid, I wasn't thinking one day I'm going to be a carpet cleaner. i you know it didn't occur to me, <laughs> but you know it's like it's an accidental industry, and a lot of people that are in service businesses, they just find themselves there, but the beauty of it is, there's amazing things that you can do with the service business. There's, As a matter of fact, if you want job security, go into the service industry right now because the amount of people going to trade schools and getting trained on it. And the other thing is most people don't understand what service means. So I asked Eunice, my assistant, who's amazing, to bring me one of my first templates of my consumer awareness guide. So before the Internet existed, my first version of a sales letter was a consumer guide to carpet cleaning. So I got this idea from reading Harry Halbert newsletter that any problem in the world can be solved with the right sales letter. So I wanted to hire a um, copywriter to help me with this. And I was learning about copywriters. So I found this guy and I paid him $1,800 because that's what he wanted. He would help me create a consumer's guide to carpet cleaning. And so I would spend you know several hours a week for about a month training this guy everything about carpet cleaning. So I created this consumer, and I got all this stuff memorized, but it said, Consumer's Guide to Carpet Cleaning. It says, you know, read this guide and you'll discover. See, people don't want to learn anything. They want to discover stuff. Like, I don't want to learn shit. I want to discover stuff. If we said, learn everything you can from Tommy Mello, is way different than discover the secrets of a guy running a $200 million a year business. You know, it sounds way more compelling. Little words. And so, Robert Cialdini, the reason I brought him up, his second book, was called pre-suasion. Yep. And so pre is what do you do before the moment of influence? So anything you put in front of somebody in advance is marketing. When I was first trying to get business, I was knocking on doors. I was making phone calls. I was handing out business cards. They knew nothing about me. So to use like Dan Kennedy language, this marketing guy I've known forever, uh, you can either be an annoying pest or a welcome guest. And if you don't have any marketing and you're just trying to sell someone, I would use this. It's kind of like tapping someone on the shoulder in a nightclub that just not even made eye contact with you. They turn around looking and you're like, would you like to sleep together? What would happen? You're probably going to get slapped in the face or they're going to call the cops, right? However, unless you know, you're know you like some famous person or a friend introduced you or whatever, but that's how many people try to generate business. They develop no rapport. The people have seen nothing in advance and they think that yelling is selling. So the consumer guide, I ended up you know, using my credit card to pay a copywriter to write my consumer guide and it said, Consumer Guide to Carpet Cleaning. Read this guide and discover seven questions ask a carpet cleaner before you invite them into your home, eight mistakes to avoid when choosing a carpet cleaner, six, six costly misconceptions about carpet cleaning, crawling critters and crud, a guide to the slime, grime, and livestock that's seeping, creeping, and galloping through your carpet, how to avoid four carpet cleaning ripoffs, the difference between value and price, which method cleans best, blah, blah, blah. And then they would open this Consumer Guide. When, when, when would they, how would they receive this? I would run ads that said, you know, free report reveals how to choose a carpet cleaner. And that would be radio? Oh, no, I would actually run ValPak, flyers that I would put out, newspaper ads, money mailer type uh, clips. I did do radio. I okay. did test radio. I had mixed things with radio. What I found about radio, though, for me, now you in the Phoenix area, you're everywhere. When, now, if you can go back to 1992, if you can imagine that, right? There's no GPS. There's no cell phones. We're using manual Thomas guides, and I would run ads on the radio, and I'm living in the East Valley. So I had a place in Chandler, Arizona, and I'd get calls from way up in Glendale. I'd have to drive all, so I found that the radio was that was a sort. And the same with TV. I even did some certain spot TV ads, like in Sun City and different oh, locations yeah. where it would only be seen in certain areas of the Phoenix Valley, because many people that I think Phoenix is what like the sixth largest city in the United States. Yeah, it's massive. So, yeah, but it is big. So, but the consumer guy was my first form of really effective marketing. Then, as like, people would call me up. And they're like, I'd like information. I would say, well, can I send you my consumer guide to carpet cleaning? It'll teach everything you need to know about how to choose a carpet cleaner. And uh, I'll include also an offer in there where you can get your, well, we'll do a free room of carpet cleaning as long, you know, for homeowners only. We don't want to do it for renters, where uh, we'll clean one room up to 200 square feet uh, free of charge. And if you, uh, and while we're there, we'll do a carpet audit and we'll give you a quote or The rest of your house. If you're happy with the free room, we do. So I actually wanted—I didn't want to price discount my services. I wanted to uh, create reciprocity by offering a free room of carpet cleaning. So I made more money giving away free rooms of carpet cleaning than I ever did trying to price discount my services. And when I started teaching that to other carpet cleaners, man, the resistance I got. We can't give away free services. We can't 100% guarantee our work. I was like, if someone's unhappy with your work and or you did a shitty job, would you give them their money back? And they would say, yeah. Okay, well, then you're already offering a guarantee. You're just getting no marketing value out of it. Because if someone was ever unhappy with what you're offering and you would give them their money back, then you already offer a guarantee, but you're not broadcasting that. So I've started doing things like make, you know, powerful guarantees. So one of the things I did to the list is risk reversal. If somebody wants what you're selling, the only thing that stands in their way of buying it from you is fear. And if you remove the fear, they will buy. So I wanted to do all my advertising to help remove fear because the number one question in all consumers' minds is who can I trust? All day long, everyone that's watching us right now, anything they're going to buy, any food that they're going to put into their system, if they get in in an Uber and the person's driving like a maniac, in their mind, can I trust this person? For the first time in my life, I drove a Waymo driverless car yesterday. I got into a car. It's like an Uber. They're only... And literally, I got into the front seat. There is no one in the car. And this thing drove me to Phoenix because I was going to a location that if I was to drive my Tesla there, I knew it would be a pain in the ass to park. And so I got and I just was curious to see because I had a friend in town that my AI friends that were running the AI event we were doing for Genius Network members. Uh, he was driving, you know, on this Waymo and he loved it. And I was like, and I'll tell you, like at first I was like, okay, this is really weird. I am in a vehicle that is driving and there's no one in it. But it, after a few minutes, I was like, this feels more comfortable than being in a car with someone where I feel like I have to attend to. So why do I bring that up? I started using free recorded messages where I said, okay, I got the consumer awareness guide, but oftentimes people would call me and they'd say, well, I want my carpet clean tomorrow. There wasn't enough time to get it in the mail. Today with the internet and social media and YouTube and text messaging and all of the things, you could not do that. There was no streaming video back then. I didn't even have my first website till 1996. And so there was no way to do it. And so what I realized is, okay, how about if I take the consumer awareness guide and I create a free recorded message? So I started running ads Warning, don't call any carpet cleaner until you listen to this message. Uh, learn seven questions, to ask the carpet cleaner before you invite him into your house, or four mistakes to avoid when choosing a carpet cleaner. Call anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And people would call, and they would listen to a me talking, a free recorded message. Now, what's funny, you can do shit right now with AI that took months to do back then. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can literally create stuff instantaneously so all of these marketing tools because the beauty of what ai can't do is i've got some of the best offers some of the best copies i've test. i've spent millions of dollars even in the late 90s from what we can even track by 1999 We've been able to track through our, our Piranha Marketing members over $800 million in revenue that had come in from my ads. And there were people running free recorded messages for chiropractic services, real estate, you know, home remodeling, heating, air conditioning, pest control, florists, printers, painters, using my free recorded message model offering You know, 24 hour free recorded messages. And now it's several billion, you know, fast forward to like, you know, that that has been generated. But all I did was I was a dead broke carpet cleaner living off credit cards and I needed a way to generate business. I figured out a methodology. It worked for me. And I was like, man, if this would work for me, I wonder if I could create a business teaching it to other people. And lo and behold, I did. And it worked. And that's the beauty of sharing and teaching. And the last thing I'll say about the Uber thing. I didn't feel like I had to talk to anyone, even though I know they had cameras, you know, while I was in the car, of course, right? But I didn't have to attend to anybody. And when someone would call and listen to a 24 hour free recorded message, everyone has phone call fear. And when they would call up, is this person going to try to sell me? But when they were listening to a free recorded message, they were more receptive because they didn't have to respond. And what I learned is the same information. That it's how you present it to somebody. Mm-hmm. You could have a beautiful painting and you could have it duct tape to the wall, or you can have it in the Louvre in, you know, in Paris. And, you know, the Mona Lisa, you could duct tape to the wall, you know, in the dark room, or you can literally display it in a certain way. So how you present yourself, and that doesn't mean it needs to be nice. As a matter of fact, if you try to make it too fancy, and you already know this from social media, neatness rejects involvement, ugly works. So sometimes you want to make things look homemade. You and you want them to not look homemade, you want them to be homemade. You yeah. don't want to overproduce it. And with a consumer awareness guide, there was like literally, there were no fancy graphics. It wasn't full color. It was black and white. And this thing has generated billions of dollars for businesses all over the world. And it just educates people on how to make a buying decision. The number one question, it says with this information, you can make it's an- a buyer's guide.
1: Yeah. And what's interesting is. I read this book by Marcus Sheridan, They Ask You Answer. And I think he took all the notes out of your book because he owns a company called River Pools. And he started writing an article a week, posting it online, lots of answers. Then he figured out HubSpot, if you send the link out in HubSpot, it tracks where the people go. So they're learning about financing, builder grade. You could actually match the right technician to show up to the house prepared. And if they spend more than 20 minutes on the buyer's guide, the closing rate goes above 80%. Yeah, because now they get to know you. They You're answering their questions. Mm-hmm. So the, the CSR that's answering the phone would say, listen, Mr. Polish, if you don't mind, I'm going to send you a buyer's guide that's going to give you every single thing you need to know before you buy a door. And if there's another Mrs. Polish, she's going to want to know everything as well. Right. So if you wouldn't mind, could I get your acknowledgement that you'll take 20 minutes to look over the buyer's guide? Now I know every page you looked at, what you read, how much what videos you played, and Riverpools is booked out over two years. And here's a funny story, too. It's so good. I don't know. This had to be 12 years ago. I'm out fixing this guy's garage door. And this is when I already knew you. And he goes, yeah, I got that Mercedes. Who's the guy that used to be on TV selling all the real estate that you know in California? The biggest guy on TV. Number one. Real
0: estate? You'd be talking like Robert Allen back in the day? No, not, not
1: Robert a- Allen. The guy, he's younger guy. Well, now he's probably in his early fifties, but he's really good buddies with Tony Robbins and those okay. guys are doing stuff together. Gotcha. Anyway, he said, yeah, I'm Joe Polish's brother. I'm a copywriter. Here's my book. And he said that Mercedes got given to me because I did a lot of the copy for, for I don't Dean. know. It, it's you, cr- for Dean. Yeah. It's cr- Dean. Graciasso. Yeah. Yeah. So long story short, everything leads back to Joe, but uh, <laughs> it was funny because you were talking about copywriting. I made a note because how funny I'm fixing his spring And he's handed me a book and he signed it. And he said, "This is a very rare book because there's a lot of typos in this one."
0: Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, and and what did he call that? Tony Palici, see who you're talking about. Yeah, and he, yeah, the copywriting guru book. He's written a couple books, but yeah, that's the thing, though. See, let me kind of back up. Some people, it may be they may be too young to remember this, but you know, Bill Phillips, the guy. Oh yeah, yeah. yes. So. I took the same marketing strategies that I was teaching to carpet and upholstery cleaners. Bill Phillips hired me in nineteen ninety-six, and that's when I was charging thirty-eight hundred, you know, a day for consulting. You know, now it's funny because I charge fifty thousand a day when I do consulting, and I try not to do it, and I only do, you know, so I'm six grand an hour is what my consulting fees if people want to hire me for consulting. And back then I was charging thirty eight hundred, and Bill was like, I'm not going to pay someone nearly four thousand dollars a day to come and you know teach me to how to run my company because he was already doing sixty million a year in revenue back in at that time. And eighteen months I took him from sixty million to over two hundred million in revenue with the same methodologies I was teaching the carpet cleaners. It was no different except the application of where he applied it in a very big niche. And he had a big team. And so he, he ended up uh, writing a book called body for life that wouldn't even have existed had he not met me. And I started doing consulting with him. And he literally sold that company for $300 million in 1999, yeah. which is a lot of money back then. Yeah, <laughs> It's any a lot of, the money time value of money.
1: You money. It's a yeah. billion dollars. Yeah. You know, I got that book and I was watching bill for loves and I was a kid and I was working out playing football. And that's I bought Arnold's book and I bought Bill Phillips' book. And it's hard to imagine you were behind that. There were, Another certainty that happened every day I, w- I went out to the mailbox, there was an AOL CD in there. yeah, And that's yeah. how they blew up. But it's important. And some of these things, I tell everybody I'm going back to guerrilla marketing, the old school stuff, relationships. You know, I listened to Grant Cardone once say he was all wrong by listening to millionaires. He goes, when I started hanging out with billionaires, I realized they don't work hard millionaires get up early they go in cold plunges they have these rituals and they do amazing things but billionaires are connected they know who to call at the right time at the right place right time yeah yeah what are your thoughts on that i mean you know billionaires you know really successful millionaires and i don't think there's a big difference but it seems like the billionaires
0: have really focused on delegating more. I I bet you Uh, when you're with... Absolutely. Look, for the knowledge that I have, one of my biggest limitations is the ability to uh, hire and attract like talent that I can delegate to and being able to let go. I mean, there's a part of me that if you're a perfectionist, you oftentimes have a hard time to delegate. I think it was Ronald Reagan that said, he said that leadership is reading a letter that a staff writer wrote, knowing that I could do a better job writing it, but knowing it was good enough. And so I sent it out anyway. And it's really easy to like talk about this than to actually do it, but being able to delegate uh, and being able to hire. So I'll tell you a couple of stories of that. So I became Richard Branson's largest fundraiser and I've interviewed Richard, I mean, hours and hours of interviews with Richard. Cause I used to do trips to Necker Island and we'd be there for like a week and we'd have Mostly breakfast, lunch, and dinner with Richard every day for like a week straight because I packaged up Richard because he's like Shamu the whale. You know, you go to Sea World to see Shamu, and so you know I package up Richard and showed them a way to monetize his island, Necker Island. And when I first started doing these trips, it's now more than two and a half times the price to rent that island, simply because of how I showed them how to package it up. They've made millions as a result of what I started with them, and out of all the conversations I ever had with Richard, the one that was probably the most valuable that I could share a lesson of is I was just me and him were in his kitchen in one of uh, the houses on Necker. And I was looking for like an orange or a banana and uh, Richard's is, we're sitting in there and I'm like, so, uh, you know, Richard, when's the last time you were uh, in, a gro- in a grocery store? store? And he's like, he looks up like he's thinking, he's like, I've never been in a grocery store. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what do you mean? You know, been in a grocery store. And he's like, I don't think I've, I go, what about when you are you know, he signed the sex pistols. I go, did you ever go get beer for Sid Vicious or Johnny Rotten, which are, you know, the members of the sex pistols? He's like, no, I don't think I've ever been in a grocery store. And I'm sitting there going, this is like the biggest, like, there's no way that's my, what's I'm thinking in my mind. I go, when's the last time you did your laundry? And he said, I don't think I've ever done laundry. And I go, what do you mean you've never done laundry? He goes, well, what about when you're a kid? He's like, my mom did my laundry. And I'm like, you've never done laundry. He goes, no, he goes, Joe, he goes, you hire people to do that stuff. And he said, he goes, one good hire will save you thousands of hours in your life. And, you know, cause Richard, people love watching. I've done a couple of interviews I've made public. Most of them were for people that came on the trips. Cause we would charge literally 40,000 to $75,000 to go on those trips. And they were very exclusive. And that's when we first started doing the super high end stuff. So I haven't released most of those interviews, uh, but you know, people watch the interview and they get all gaga because you know it's Richard Branson, but he doesn't really explain a lot of stuff. People get all you know he's an intuitive entrepreneur, so it's hard for him to explain what he's, he's doing. So there's that example. Let me think of another one with billionaires and with delegating because that. I'll tell you, if if someone wants to get really great insight into super wealthy people and people that are really into regular self-help and they watch these How to Get Rich gurus, which most of them are full of shit because there's people that are reporters of success and then there's people that are actually successful, is read the book How to Get Rich by Felix Dennis. Uh, He died but he is super hardcore in the beginning of the book, how to get Re- he wrote every word of the book himself. It was not ghost written. And that's one of my favorite <laughs> books because it's so hardcore. And I think he just really slams a lot of people that are promising people the moon when they're, you know, selling stuff. So, you know, my, there, there was a story I was thinking of, maybe it'll come back to me, but right when you first asked me the question, I thought about the Richard Branson, one. but there's a, there's another great example of uh of how Bill, oh, I don't oh, know what it is. It came to me. Okay. So, you know, Matt Mullenweg, he's the founder of WordPress. Yep. Okay. So Matt, I brought him to Necker Island. I originally went on a trip. I invited Tim Ferriss and Matt to go to Vietnam with me and uh, a couple of my buddies, uh, John Butcher is a friend who uh, was organizing the trip. And so we go to Vietnam for like nine days, and Matt's there, and I got to know Matt uh, and he's a cool dude. So I invite him into one of my Necker Island trips. And so at this Necker Island trip, Yannick Silver would come to my trips. So I eventually turned the Necker Island trips over to Yannick and let him run it because I got sick of all the mosquitoes and all that. I mean, there's too many damn mosquitoes on Necker. It's beautiful. But if you <laughs> if mosquitoes like you, it's a real pain in the ass. But so we're sitting there with all these marketers and they're internet marketers. And they're talking about opt-in pages. And Matt Mullenweg at the time. Uh, I think 10% of every website in the world was on WordPress. Now it's far bigger. And he was worth a quarter billion dollars at the time. Now he's a billionaire. And he was leaning in, listening to this conversation. Everyone's talking about an opt-in page. And Matt, owner of WordPress, which there are Millions of opt-in pages, like, you know, Dean Jackson, who you've had on your show, invented the squeeze page in 1997. He's one of the original OGs that invented the stuff that, you know, he's the guy that I've been doing the I Love Marketing podcast with for, you know, going close to 15 years. So all these marketers are talking about opt-in pages. Matt Bullerwick, founder of WordPress, leans in, and he's like, you guys are saying opt-in page. What is an opt-in page? And they all look at him like he's an idiot. They're like, how do you know? Like, how do you not know what an opt in page is? And something clicked in my mind at that point like, he doesn't need to be the king or the queen. He just needs to be the chessboard. So, in your particular case, you're not trying to be the king or queen. You're just trying to be the chessboard. And you bring on the kings and the queens and the knights and the bishops and the pawns and all the things to play a chess game. So, if you want to play a, a different game, You have to really define what you know, what are you trying to do? And so, do you want to be an industry transformer? So, I wanted to transform the carpet cleaning industry and I did. And I want to transform the addiction industry. I mean, one of my biggest goals with all these marketing skills is I want to, you know, I have Genius Recovery, which is my addiction foundation. And I want to change the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts with compassion instead of judgment and find the best forms of treatment that have efficacy and share it with the world. In the current way that we're trying to treat addicts, is punitively, and you cannot punish pain out of people. If someone is depressed or has anxiety or is sad or is struggling with trauma that's manifesting as addiction, throwing them in prison, unless they're committing violent crimes, you have to protect society. That's one thing. But there's a lot of people that are extremely in pain, mental and physical and spiritual anguish, and people are trying to look at them as moral degenerates. And and there's a lot of workaholic entrepreneurs that don't feel good about themselves unless they can get an adrenaline rush of business deals. So part of it is like going, okay, I've learned a lot about marketing, what you put in front of people and positioning yourself. How do I actually do this in an area where I'm quite knowledgeable about and that that I suffered a lot with my own life, which is addiction recovery. And how do I use my marketing skills to do that? And when I'm able to do that, I find more meaning in building a business. I find more meaning in doing stuff like that. But you can apply everything we're talking about to anything. It could be for profit. It could be, you know, what are you trying to do in the world that's going to make a big difference?
1: Hey, guys. I hope you're enjoying this podcast interview. Before we go ahead, I want to let you know about the next freedom event that's going to blow your mind. In my latest book, Elevate, I shared with you the ideas that helped me grow my garage door business to over $200 million in revenue. But at the Freedom Event, I'll take you through the next level by giving you access to the people who actually help me turn these ideas and systems and processes into reality. These experts help me build an amazing culture in my company and recruit A+ players that I have with me today. So if you want to learn from the source and connect with the people who can truly elevate your business, make sure to get tickets to the freedomevent.com. Freedomevent.com, that's freedomevent.com. And I hope to see you in Orlando. Now let's get back to the interview. You know, the networking side of things is people are like, man, you're just, you were a kid from Michigan. You started this garage door company. You were the technician, you were the inventory, you know, and then slowly the same thing happened. Somebody handed me the email, then the richest man in Babylon, then the ultimate sales machine. So reading was Great All of those And then I became addicted to reading. And then, I just slowly got connected to people and slowly, you know, came to your event more than a decade ago. We used to come in and just right across from the bowling alley, same spot. Right. And I'm just curious because getting in front of Jeff Bezos, getting in front of, you could go on the list. It's hundreds, if not thousands of people now. What is it that really clicked? When was the first time you figured out that's how Alex Ramosi said, don't, don't ask me what you could do for me. People always say, what do I got to do to, you know, hang out and learn from you? Just do it. Figure right. Like you just said, I figured out a way to solve Richard's problems. I did the business plan. I made him a ton of money. Therefore he gave you the time.
0: You said something real, you know, and I don't know if I talk about this not a lot. So you, you gave me the impetus, though. It's it's a good distinction. So people constantly come to me. They don't really kind of understand what I think I do a pretty good job of writing about in my book, what's in it for them, where I literally go through the process of how to connect with people authentically, not using fake flattery. I mean, flattery works. I'd be lying if I would say flattery doesn't work. You know, enthusiasm covers many deficiencies. However, you know, having some substance to what you're doing is, is valuable. And people often come to me and say, how can I help you? And when you're so damn busy, you don't even know what you need help with. Cause there's like a hundred things. And oftentimes if you, what they're doing is they're putting work on you. It's like reverse delegation when you hire people to do work for you and then they bring more work to you. That's like the worst, you know? And so you know, just doing it, what you said is important. So you don't build a great reputation by talking about what you're going to do. You build a great reputation by actually doing it. So if you being able to anticipate, being able to understand what someone's value system is, being able to focus on like what Dan Sullivan, we've done episodes on this. What are their dangers? What are their opportunities? And what are their strengths? So having a DOS conversation where you can ask the R factor question, which is if we were to meet, you know, a year from today, three years from today, what needs to happen both personally and professionally for you to feel happy with your progress? If you ask people, if you utilize Socratic selling in order to identify what people are interested in, what they want is really valuable you can back in before the internet existed, Harvey McKay, who's now 90 years old, just sent me a message yesterday. He wrote, uh, you know, how to swim with the sharks without being eaten alive." And he had a thing called McKay 66, which you can do an internet search on. I write about it in my book, you know, the, the McKay 66 method. It's, it's gathering information about the person that you're wanting to align yourself with. So instead of saying, how can I help you find out what actually be helpful for them, start doing it and impress the hell upon them that like, oh my God, you actually created value in advance. So let's go to the Consumer Awareness Guide. What's the number one question in all consumers' minds? Who can I trust? I made my advertising valuable. People wanted to do business with me because I wasn't just advertising to sell something to them. I was offering to give them free valuable information for them to make a buying decision and they had trust and rapport with me in advance. If they listened to a 10-minute recording of how to choose a carpet cleaner, and it would start out, hi, this is Joe Polish. I own you know, FiberTech Professional Cleaning Services. I've provided this information to help you make an informed, intelligent decision on how to choose a carpet cleaner. If all you want is a brush the dirt off cleaning, we respectfully ask that you call another cleaning company. However, if you want to know how to choose a carpet cleaner, I'm about to share all that with you. And then I would literally talk. And so by the time they called me, they never asked, how much do you charge? They ask, when can you do the job? Because I established trust and report. So let's take that to billionaires or really busy people are like, hey, you know, how do you connect with the Richard Bransons of the world or Jeff Bezos of the world? Well, when I first, people, you know, always ask, hey, how'd you meet Richard Branson? Well, a friend named Ben Altadonna called me up one day in 2006 and he's like, would you like to go to dinner with the Richard Branson? I'm like, okay, what's the catch? He's like, well, my friend, Mike Faith is organizing a dinner in San Francisco with a group of about 12 to 15 people. You know, and it's a minimum donation to his uh, foundation, Virgin Unite, of $5,000. And so I thought about it for, you know, a few seconds. I said, I'll donate $15,000. Like, I want to re- meet Richard Branson, right? So I then go to the meeting, and everyone's asking him about global warming and climate change and all that. And anyone that really is like, read books like Fossil Futures and different stuff realize that the environmental movement is filled with a tremendous amount of scam artists. Things start out as a mission— or, no, they start as a mission, then they become a business, then they become a racket. And so there's all these big categories. Al Gore? Okay. Yeah, exactly. No, an inconvenient truth <laughs> is I met Al Gore twice. I mean, I think he'll be exposed as one of the biggest frauds in history. I'm sorry I said that for people that like Al Gore. But anyway, uh, so in, the fact that this is live is even more funny. Yeah. So, but yeah, look, and this is coming from a guy who uh, millions of dollars that I've raised have gone towards things related to the climate. I know things that are being really good related to climate. And I know a lot of people that are using it as a grift, which can really speak to a lot of stuff. So anyway, get me back on track. Where was I going with this? Because Summit so
1: Richard Branson. Oh yeah. He's,
0: yeah. So, Okay.
1: So, so you you paid 15 I, grand I paid 15
0: grand and everybody's asking about global warming yeah and so i was like what was it like to hang out with the sex pistols what was it like to sign boy george you jump out of a balloon so he took a real liking to me because everyone's asking him all these serious questions and i'm like this is a guy that does crazy shit let me ask him about crazy shit and then about five minutes into it he's like how old were all of you when you lost your virginity and it's so weird because they're there in the presence if it wasn't richard branson asking that some of those people never would answer that question and everyone's going around and then you really realize intimidation and posturing and positioning which i always dislike when people use ways to try to intimidate people A great book written in the 70s is winning through intimidation by robert ringer it doesn't teach you how to intimidate people it teaches you how to not get intimidated uh, because a lot of people, their modus operandi is to try to instill power and control and manipulation. And I hate that. I mean, I, I like people that are actually conscientious, empathetic, and caring. And so it just became a, a more fun conversation. And and then he started talking. And then I said, well, you know, you got your foundation here. And I told him the story of how I gave Bill Phillips the idea to raise money for the Make a Wish Foundation. And with my idea, Bill Phillips became the single largest individual contributor in the history of the world to the Make a Wish Foundation. And I, and Richard's like, wow, can you share that idea with me? And so I said, Yeah, you know, just how do you want me to send it to you? Text or email. And so he gave me his email. I think I was the only one there that he gave his email to. And so I sent him information, but I was thinking, I'd like to, you know, interview Richard. And I think at the time his net worth and well, I don't know, it was like 3 billion or something like that. And he had, um, you know, just a, a tremendous amount of employees. And, and so if you do the math, if you're a millionaire, take a million dollars for someone to net a million dollars, you have to make $3,000 a day, approximately every single day, 365 days a year. Yeah. Okay. If you're 5 million, what's five times three, you have to make $18,000 a day. If you're a billionaire, that's a whole nother level. So I was thinking, okay, how do I do something for him that would be valuable? Not so I can just ask him like everyone else does for something. So I said, you know, how about if we use education-based marketing for your foundation? So I started doing interviews with his team members and stuff. And then I said, how do we have you come out to one of my events? And they wanted a donation. So that was a couple hundred grand. So people are like, you know, see, people are then well, I don't have that much money. I don't have 15000 to take someone to dinner. Well, I was a dead broke carpet cleaner, not... 10 years prior, I didn't have any money. I was completely broke, right? right? So I had to figure out how to... So if you don't have any money, and this is chapter two of my book, What's In It For Them? And if people really want to go deep with this, literally read my book. I talk about Tammy. If you don't have money, you probably have time. You probably have energy. You probably have effort that you can put in. So if you don't have any money to put into relationships, put in your time, attention money effort and energy those are the things that you can spend research people figure out what's important to them present it to them we all want something i want something everyone watching this wants something one of the things i say is if you want something from somebody make sure that your give is equal to or greater than your want and so i had to figure out what i could give to all of these people that i meet that will make it valuable to them so i don't come across as like a beggar. Like all kinds of people want to work with me, be around me, learn from me, all that stuff, but they show up with like, "Oh, can i have this? Can i have that?" and it's just like that is not the way you develop uh you can be enthusiastic and persistent. You know, if you're not persistent to a degree, but if you're persistent as an asshole as a taker, i like persistent givers. I don't like persistent takers. As a matter of fact, someone has tremendous amounts of stuff to give, they better chase my ass down. Cause I'm a busy guy that has too many things going on all the time. Not because anyone forced me to do it. No one holds a gun to my head and tells me to take on all these projects and do all this stuff. Me and you are both driven entrepreneurs. We do it to ourselves cause we want to grow. Well,
1: explain we that. Do. Explain some of the things you talk about that. I want some home service expert listeners, which we just passed a million downloads. We're like 1.1.
0: So pretty happy. But Congratulations. That's awesome. Hunters are 5%. Explain that whole. Well, I learned this from Dr. Doug Brackman. He wrote a book. I believe he wrote it in 2017. He's got a new one coming out soon. Uh, But he wrote a book called Driven about the driven entrepreneur. And there's hunters and farmers. And about 5% of people in the world uh, have the D2D4 gene. It's a genetic mutation which causes them to be a hunter. And hunters are very restless sort of individuals. Most of them have trouble sleeping Uh, Most of them are not very satisfied with almost anything because the reward receptors in our brains require greater stimulation because the hunters need to go out and kill. They need to go out and get food. They need to gather. They need to feed the tribe. And so hunters are pack animals. So the majority of people that join mastermind groups probably listen to things like this, read a lot of books, listen to podcasts at double time speed, and never can seem to consume enough stuff most of them are hunters, not all, uh, but most of them are hunters. And when someone betrays them or lies to them or lets them down, assuming you're dealing with hunters that have ethics, because a hunter without ethics and boundaries are some of the tyrants that we see run in the world that are destroying and damaging people's lives that are very high leadership positions. So a hunter without good boundaries and without ethics and integrity is a very dangerous sort of individual. But the hunters that are really well bounded and really empathetic and caring build some of the greatest businesses. They provide jobs. They do great stuff. And so hunters need to get into a pack. And they're easily influenced by other people. So it's that whole line, you, you lay down with dogs, you wake up with fleas. You got to be very careful what you expose yourself to. You know, if you look at television, television. Everybody on social media, even TV before internet existed, is trying to television to somebody else's life. So, lasting happiness does not come from consuming values of other people. It comes from developing your own and living the mountain life. So, for the hunters, uh, which are most people that are the high quick start type A, often labeled as ADD, distractible, which, you know, I certainly have ADD it's a hunter sort of thing and it's a reward receptor. So it's, it's being aware that, you know, the pursuit of business, like the alcoholic poet, Charles Bukowski, he had this uh, poem, which said, you take the writer away from the typewriter and all you have left is a sickness, which started him writing in the first place. You take the entrepreneur away from business and all you have left is a sickness, which got them running a business in the first place. So is it going to become a disease dis ease, or is it going to become a drive that you do and accomplish things. So part of it is finding some contentment and finding some joy and fulfillment. Hunters need to hunt, though. If someone, you know, takes that hunter thing and and you become an athlete, you know, you have to do something that makes you feel accomplished. So for the people that are watching this, I've often said this to young people, uh, where if I would have known being successful was this much work, I would have stuck with being a loser because you know? <laughs> it's really hard to tell a young person that you're probably going to have your heart ripped out of your chest in a relationship or a business betrayal, not once, but probably many times. You're going to have people that will betray you. You have people that will mislead you. You have narcissists and psychopaths and sociopaths because a lot of those hunters come in those forms. And that is not to discourage you, though. That's just part of life. Up here on the wall behind us, there's this one that says other people's yellow faces. Other people's bad news is your good news. So everyone that's watching us right now, almost all the money that will come, not all, but almost all of the money that's going to be made in the world is transforming other people's bad news into good news. Garage door breaks, something, you know, fix it, fix it, right? The cat peed on the carpet, dog pooped in the corner, Kool-Aid was spilled, bad news. Good news if you can call someone out and they can fix it. If you're hungry, bad news. If you can go and get some food, go to a restaurant, good news broke your leg, bad news. If you can have a doctor, you know, my doctor's a trauma surgeon. I mean, my doctor, my girlfriend is a trauma surgeon. She's amazing. And she's sweet. And she's empathetic. And and, she's the doctor. doctor. No, she, well, you know, I should just say she's a (laughs) vaginoplastic surgeon. That's a whole nother conversation. I love the fact that I can insert the word vagina into certain conversations and get away with it because of my girlfriend's (laughs) positioning as a, a, she's an amazing, it's funny as Damon John just posted about her on his Instagram, but doing an eboot treatment, uh, Damon John from Shark Tank. Yep. And so did Dana Kapatrick, you know, and uh, she it's so funny because nothing about her thinks of how to use this as marketing positioning. If you give something like that to a marketer, they're like they go crazy with it. But see, my girlfriend is a farmer, she's not a hunter, and so the creative types. So, what I would advise farmers is pay attention to some of these crazy hunters because they have really good ideas. But the best way to work with them is look at their wild racehorses bucking around all the time. And if you could find a way, like the analogy, you've heard me talk about this, and I like sharing it because it's it's a good reminder, is the million-dollar racehorse. I've told this story to quite a few entrepreneurs. If you had a million-dollar racehorse, that every time this horse ran a race, you'd make a million dollars, then you would have the best food, the best trainers. Uh, the best rest and relaxation. You wouldn't have the horse running in too many races because you would exhaust it. You wouldn't have the horse up at three a.m. drinking alcohol, smoking cigarettes, snorting cocaine, watching porn. You you know you might if you want to have a toxic horse. But basically, you would take care of the horse, and if you do, the horse wins races. Well, if you have a million dollar racehorse in your life, make sure the track is clear. Make sure you're looking out for that horse because the horse depends on the trainers and the people around it, and they depend on the horse. And oftentimes people get really pissed. I mean, I guarantee you, because it happens with me, happens with you, happens with any driven entrepreneur. The people around us think we're all nuts half the time. because You do this to yourself. They think we're nuts because we are nuts compared to the way they operate. But We need farmers, and farmers need hunters. And so part of it is how do you see, even with my book, you know, what's in it for them? I have to think about this all the time. Everyone I interact with, if I want to have, and I have literally... Thousands of relationships. There's that Dunbar law, which is you can only have like 150 relationships. That's true in most cases. I think I violate that to a certain degree, and I don't know. If violate you're, is the right you're the word. Exce- one of the exceptions. Yeah, but there's also a lot of other areas that I am completely inept at. So I can sit here and talk about all kinds of relationship stuff too. But I also don't want anyone to think that I'm masterful in other areas. I mean, when God was doling out brains, I got about two percent of my brains on how to design. You thought a- he said trains and you said I'll pass. <laughs> exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I focus it. So here's the thing. We all have skills and we all have talents. Part of it is finding where to put your Tammy, what your time, attention, money, effort, and energy, and how do you leverage it? You know, time like productivity is maximum results, least amount of time. Leverage is maximum results, least amount of effort. What people that work for you, work with you, listen to you. The thing to the best learn to get the most out of this podcast is listen to where's Tommy productive, And how does Tommy leverage things? Like when I look at you, you're a massive leverager. I mean, there are people that are way better in social settings. Like one of my team members, Mike, back here. So he's back here. Mike is way better at social situations than I am. He's nicer. He's more chummy. He's less distractible. He has more patience. I can't do that shit. Eunice, who's been with me for 28 years, super sweet. There are some people where I'll be like, I need a firewall between me, Eunice, please show up here, help me out with that sort of stuff. So, you know, we all have to use the tools in our toolbox, and I'm constantly trying to get better in certain areas. But I've also made a decision that, and it came from Dan Sullivan, if you spend your life trying to get strong at what you're weak at, at the end of your life, you have a lot of really strong weaknesses. You know, it's interesting,
1: I'm brain farting. <laughs> There's a book that just came out from the guys here, Dan Sullivan and... Ben uh, Ben Hardy. Ben Hardy, what's the latest? Well, book?
0: There's so, ten times is easier.
1: Than, yeah, so ten than, times yeah. easier than one. So here's the deal: I'm at my doctor's office, naturopath. I'm on four peptides. Pat- I'm on all this shit, <laughs> and he goes, "What are you really good at?" If you had to name one thing, and I'm like, "One thing," I'm like, "I like to encourage others. Like, I like to motivate people. I like to figure out their why and continue to push them back towards that to remind them." Right. And he's like, that's what you should be doing 98% of the time. He's like, I read a book. He goes, you should. And I'm like, I know. But uh, it's interesting because a lot of times we focus on things like, I want to be well-rounded. I want to understand everything. But I don't anymore. I don't want to be well-rounded. I want to be the best at what I do. I want to be a specialist. I don't want to be a general practitioner. Mm-hmm. I want to be just really, really good at what I do the best. Yeah. And then find people that are smarter, better. I'll tell you this. A lot of times when you don't have a lot of money, you look for a bargain, you hire somebody and you're like, well, I'm better than everybody here. So I'm just going to do it. I love when I walk in a room and I have people around me like here. Yeah. And I say simple things like you're way better than I am. You tell me where to go. You tell me what to do. You you get me ready for this. Yeah. And that's what's nice is a lot of people, if you're in your business and you're still saying to yourself, I got to handle it or it won't get done right. That's a reflection on your leadership and who you attract. And I would just say, you need to reevaluate who you hire because you should be impressed and they should be guiding you and what their specialty is, like a CFO or a controller or a CPA. You know, there's so many things that I think we try to be well-rounded at. You talked about nine principles in networking. And I don't know if you got those all. It seems like you're a photographic memory.
0: Well, I know some of them, but I can make it a lot easier. Just uh, let me—I probably can't speak to every one of them, but you know, how are they suffering, and how can I help? Okay, that's the first one. So be a pain detective. Okay, so that's see one of the ways that I connect with people is what most of the very successful wealthy people that I know—no one even knows I know them because I met them in recovery. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know, I know a lot of business entrepreneurs, but I also know professional athletes, NBA players, NFL players, I know uh, actors and actresses, I know politicians, I know musicians and artists and a lot of them are world famous and I got over my, you know, intimidation thing of being around people when you're around very successful people that the world admires but you also realize that they're humans and a lot of them their fame came out of brokenness and pain and hurt that a lot of people become lopsided losers and some people become lopsided winners and Uh, rarely do I know a balanced person that stays balanced for long periods of time. You know, what I think life is uh, the treadmill of shit never goes away. You don't walk out back, you know, of your beach house and you look out at the beach and everything's beautiful and you're rich and you have no debt and you have the beautiful family and the beautiful partner and you got all the material, uh, stuff you've got the internal peace. I mean, it's not how life is. Life is boring, life is mundane, life is a lot of work. Uh, and there are moments of extreme bliss and happiness and a lot of moments of pain. There's a, something I have on the wall here that says, My life is an entrepreneur, and it's from Gaping Void, the ones that do this image. And it says, Hell yeah! Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! It says, Hell yeah! So there's two hell yeahs and a whole bunch of oh, fucks that are yeah. all, maybe we could do a you know, when we edit this video, we can do a picture of that and plop it on oh, yeah, so people for can sure. see. But, there, you know, the thing is, though, life is the only thing worth living for. Life is suffering. Life is pain. And I think part of it is, you know, to transform the suffering. Humans want more woo and less ah. So be a pain detective. And if you can bring sunshine and stuff to people's life, you will bond with them. You will connect with them. And actually, I think you get a real joy out of it. Because, I mean, you know how good it feels when you help somebody out. People that say money can't buy happiness, for one, you haven't given haven't enough, given enough away. away yet. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that, you know, the world sucks for a lot of people. I always remind myself that there are 3 billion people on the planet right now that their dreams would come true if they could trade places with me or you or anyone in this room. There's seven people in this room with us right now. Uh, If they can change places with these people for an hour and oftentimes I will forget that but I do my best to bring it back. So how are they suffering and how can I help second is invest Tammy time attention money effort and energy into relationships. You have to invest in it. You don't walk around with an entitlement attitude and if you want something from somebody make sure your want is equal to or or your give is equal to or greater than you want. And then chapter three, be the type of person they always answer the phone for. So this is one of the principles. And I use this as a test. The next 10 people, five people, 10 people that text you, call you social media, whatever. When you look at them, do you get, woo, like you're excited or do you get like, oh shit, like obligation and try to evaluate why. And I always caution people, if you owe them money, that doesn't mean they're the asshole. It means you owe them money and you need to like, you need to be a responsible human. So, if you're treating your relationships with responsibility, because what is responsibility? It's responding with ability. You know, it says react, don't respond. When people are losing it, they're reacting to life. When they're responding, you know, people are like, why me? Why me? Well, why not you? Why not you? Like, okay. You know, yeah, you can look at everything as a challenge. You can look at it as an opportunity. So be the type of person they always answer the phone for. And if people are not responding to you, change your approach. If you're not getting what you want, try a different way to approach it. The fourth principle is be useful, grateful, and valuable. None of this is rocket science. But I don't want people to like me because I'm showing them a high status sort of thing. Like pursue growth, not status. People that pursue status they will get a lot of followers. They will get admiration. They will also get envy. They will get people that think they're annoying. And if your focus is status instead of growth, I think long-term, it's like eating uh, cotton candy versus nutrition. Uh, But try to be useful, grateful and valuable. And then chapter five, treat others as you, and then we cross out you, and we put they. Treat others as they love to be treated. You have to deal with people at the level at which they respond. I write in the book that, You always want to try to be nice and you want to be cool. Uh, One of my favorite quotes early on in my life was be nice to the people you meet on the way up they're the same people you're going to meet on the way down. With the exception that there are some people that you can be generous, you have to make the decision of deal with people at the level at which they respond and how they want to be treated. The six is avoid formalities, be fun and memorable, not boring. You can usually gauge uh, the value of relationships by how often you laugh together. So when I say easy, lucrative, and fun, if you are not surrounding yourself with people that are easy, lucrative, and fun, and you're always having to beg them to do stuff for you, or you're always having to sell them on the mission, it doesn't mean there's anything maybe wrong with them. They just not, may not vibe with you. Or, you know, I have this great uh, motivational poster that you know, I got from despair.com that says, you know, sometimes the best solution to a morale problem is to fire all the unhappy people. <laughs> and that's, I just think was humorous. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, you know, look, if you're having dinner with someone or you're watching a couple and they're not even like smiling or talking to each other, I mean, they're probably not having fun. So go to clown school, go to improv. If you're not funny, try to hang out with funny people. Try to, you know, life is hard. And if you can find things, you know, what comedy is comedy, pain plus time equals comedy. That's what comedy is. And so you can look at things in your life right now that might be so painful, but I guarantee you 10 years from now, if you at least say, what did I learn from it? How's this gonna help me grow? You're gonna look back at that painful moment and you're gonna laugh your ass off about it. And most things in people's lives that are breakthroughs came out of adversity. So instead of wanting problems and bad news to go away, invite it. There'd be no business if there wasn't pain. There'd be no business if there wasn't bad news. What a business is, is solving problems for a profit. The reason you're going to be a billionaire, I'd give you two years and you will literally be have a net worth of a billion dollars based on what it is you're doing, is you have to solve a shit ton of problems to make that that billion dollars. But the fact is, that is a byproduct of value creation. You're not out there fleecing people. You're out there educating people. You're doing a freaking podcast trying to help people sharing the stuff you've learned. This is an incredible service and the infrastructure Of not only the United States, but most countries in the world will crumble if there were not trade services and blue-collar workers. And people want to be influencers, and they want to be famous, and they want to be YouTubers. And that's great, but what are you influencing? Are you influencing, I want to be a thought leader. Any idiot can come up with a thought. Be a result leader you know, be a true result leader, help people get results. And then you can make as much money as you want. And you never have to make an excuse for it. If you're creating value in the world and you're making a lot of money, good for you. Do more of it. I think there should be like literally foundations and charities for successful people that work their ass off where people like come to them and say, you know what? We put a team of people together, Tommy, you've been working your ass off for like you know, 15 years straight, you've probably not taken enough time off. We're going to help do some stuff. We're going to give you an award. We're going to celebrate you and say, thank you for your contributions to society. And you know what, if they did that to like certain people, not all, cause there's a lot of shitty well, John Rowland does that. Yeah. Yeah. The giftology guy. And so basically what would happen is you would be like, wow, instead of people being envious of my financial success, they would realize that I've paid a price for this feel sorry for the rich guy with a house on the mountain, you know, however, if they really got to know some of these people, they'd be like, these are good people. And there are rich people with houses on the mountain that are assholes. So I'm not saying, you know, believe me, it's not, money does not create the value of someone. I know gardeners and I know people that like make no money that are some of the most amazing, happy, connected, loving, caring people. And at the end of the day, you know, when you're on your deathbed, all that money shit, you know, your fair weather friends are not going to be around. Who's going to be around are the people that were with you through hard times and difficult times. So make sure as you have success in your life that you know how to discern between the givers and the takers because it's real easy to, when you become a big influencer and you're putting out stuff in people like you to misinform yourself that these people actually care about you. So this book is really about not deal friends, but real friends. Well, real quick, let me dive into that. And know we only got about 10 minutes.
1: I think things change. Right. One of my buddies, Ken Gooder, said at, the, at your growth rate with the way you're reading, he goes, a lot of people aren't going to be able to keep up with you, which means there's going to be new people that need to come into your life and you need to run, you know, run with the bulls. And so but also I got kids I grew up with just like you do. And like and they'll never not be friends. And, you know, sometimes it's family members as well. Mm-hmm. So what is the best way to approach that? Because, I, th- you know, this is a important question, I think, is You got somebody that's relied on you or you relied on them. And then you just realize maybe you don't like answering the phone. Maybe they have nothing good to say. Maybe the cup is always half empty. Maybe they're always just saying, yeah, that's a great idea. But you always got a lot of ideas. Are you going to finish one? Whatever it is that just kick you when you're down. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you take some of those people? You talk about it. in The book is getting how do you bring those people that breathe the life and energy out of you? Just get them out.
0: Yeah. A lot easier said than done. I mean, for instance, if there's uh, someone that's an abusive relationship and they have children and they're not in a financial ability to easily unwind themselves, they do need to resource themselves and they need to, you know, develop hopefully a level of relationships and sounding board. So, but there are certain people, you know, there is a, on the wall, it says, uh, be willing to destroy anything in your life. that's not excellent. And uh, Dan Sullivan has this uh, quote where he says the skills to get you out of Egypt are not the same skills to get you to the promised land. You have to look at relationships. And there's a point where the advantages and the disadvantages and the disadvantages outweigh the advantages. And you either need to change the relationship, minimize your involvement. Sometimes that's harder if they're family members or you just need to cut it off. And you, you have to walk through the world without apology. In Al-Anon, which is, was created for people that have, um, you know, in relationships with addicts, family members and whatnot, there's a great line that says, say what you mean, but don't be mean. So appreciate people, you know, thank them for their contribution to their life. But, you know, some people, their purpose in life is just to serve as a bad example. And so, you, can, <laughs> you know, I would always say be courteous until that no longer works. And, and if you're dealing with a narcissist or a complete taker, what they want is attention. And they want acknowledgement. And no matter how you acknowledge them, uh, you're an asshole, you're, you know, whatever, however you pander to them, they just keep coming back for more. So it's kind of like if you're on a consuming lots of carbs and junk food and sugar, you know how you wake up the next day and you want more junk food, carbs and sugar, we get into trauma bonds with people. And if it's really difficult, I would always say go to support groups, go get different perspective, have someone because silent battles are the hardest battles to fight and we're sick as our secrets. And so, most of the difficulty uh, we find people whose dents match our dents. And it wasn't until I did a lot of 12 step groups, a lot of therapy, where I realized that a lot of the toxic relationships that I had in my life when I was an addict was because I myself was toxic. And I needed to clean up the trauma. I needed to work through the shit that I write in this book, like about how. I would want to get the attention of people that did not pay attention to me. Why did I find myself helping people that were abusive and unappreciative of me? What part of me wanted that, that wanted that validation? So the more you can esteem yourself and feel good for your contributions, the people tend to go away. And I'm not going to bullshit anyone and say it's easy. Sometimes you have to just, you know, take it head on and say, you know, I'm sorry, but this relationship... Tough conversations. Yeah. And very few people are willing to have them. Right. And that's why
1: it's tough. And they do it to themselves. They don't even realize it. Yeah. But what is that book called? Um, Fierce Conversations. Yeah. It's just tough, man. And until you get used to confronting those, it gets easier. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Listen, we got 10 minutes. I want to dive into a few things. I, I know we didn't make it through all of those, but um, I want to talk a little bit about 10X Talk Podcast and the idea of 10X thinking. And sometimes you just, I get 10X my leads. I get 10X. But is there something like a breakthrough in my mind that just changes the industry? There's three ways to make money, right? You get more customers, you charge more, you keep them coming back more frequent. Mm -hmm. And that's where my whole life lives, is how do I do all three of those? But when you think about 10X thinking, what do you mean by that? What
0: what does that mean to you? Well, it's two things. One, it's like how 10X doesn't always necessarily need to be 10X growth. It could be 10X more free time, right? it could be you know it could be 10 times better connection and better happiness so there's there's many ways to get to 10x the first thing is it takes just as much effort to manage tiny projects as it does bigger ones and there's more juice that comes with the big 10x thinking but in order to have a breakthrough you got to break something and so i think it's really good for people to do an audit of their life uh, personally and professionally on a regular basis at least annually and you list you know who are the elf people in my life who are the elf projects and who are the half people and, uh, you know, uh, I-, I helped Ariana Huffington. Uh, I don't agree with her politically. I helped her with her book thrive back in 2014. And we did a lot of interviews, you know, hours of interviews. And one of the best things that came out of it was this line where the best way to complete a project is to drop it. So oftentimes, you know, people use persistence and don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Well, the best way to get out of a hole is to quit digging it. So sometimes the best thing you can do is give up certain relationships, Give up on it. It's not fulfilling you. It's not fulfilling them. You know, quit putting yourself through that misery. Don't prolong it. You know, pull the band-aid off. There's that sort of stuff. But th- the thing I wanted to point out though is entrepreneurs that are too tightly scheduled cannot transform themselves. So I took a one-year sabbatical in 2021 and I had to set it up. In order to have the conditions that we want in our life, uh, we have to set it up. So I had to take, you know, I took about six months to figure out how. Am I going to take a year off with a business that's totally built around me running Genius Network? And my team did a phenomenal job. And my members, uh, my team got my members to lead uh, the group. And it it was amazing. I mean, it actually worked way better than I thought it would. I was scared shitless. I was like, oh my God. But at the same time, I was more scared of what would happen to me if I didn't do it. And I knew the world was going into a dark place when the pandemic started because I talked to addicts. uh, A lot of my time is spent. Talking with people that, that struggle with addiction. So I have a different, you know, I'm just not this business guy. I'm in this weird sort of place. Uh, and so with breakthroughs, you have to get away from it. I mean, you, and when I say it, sometimes, you know, that's, you know, doing yoga every day or taking a, a shorter sabbatical or getting away from uh, technology. I don't think all of the outside things are the issue, though. They definitely influence us, it's the internal stuff. So your nervous system, your sleep. So here's the way that I, I, I look at it is one elegant idea is worth more than a thousand semi-good ideas. So uh, one of my favorite quotes is from the book of survival by Anthony Greenback. And he said, in order to get through an impossible situation, you don't need the reflexes of a grand pre-driver, the muscles of a Hercules, the mind of an Einstein. You simply need to know what to do. And when you're faced with a really difficult situation that seems impossible, The way to get through an impossible situation is you simply need to know what to do. So my friend, Dr. Alan Barnard, he has this line where he says, it's impossible, dot, 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 unless. So whenever you're trying to have a breakthrough, do some thinking time, sit down and say, who would I need to be in order to be over there? And you do this all the time, even if you're not conscious of it. There's no way a guy like you is growing like you're growing if you're not constantly coming face to face with your identity. How many employees do you have right now? 750. 750. You have a lot of outside influences. So you have to have parts of you that are receptive so you can be guided because you're hiring all these people to help you. But you also have to have Teflon to know how to discern. And you are making wrong decisions all the fucking time. All the time. All the time. Because you can't do this sort of shit with this without it. But you're making a lot of right decisions and you're willing to do that and not have it define you as a loser because all day long, me and you are losing. Things aren't working. Things are breaking down. But you know what? Because of that, there's a lot of things that are working. And the things that are working, as long as they work a little bit better than the things, you know, that's how you build a business. It's part of it. So the treadmill of shit never goes away. What happens is your resourcefulness, your ingenuity, your way to look at it, the way you frame it. You know, Dan Sullivan says the problem is not the problem. The problem is how you think about the problem. And getting results doesn't take time. It's the not getting results that takes up all the time. So if you want to get results in your life, it's not that getting results takes time. It's all the other bullshit you're doing. So being a pain detective, having the ability to notice like one thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You need to get your focus. And I will say that um, it's definitely not easy when you have ADHD. Mm -hmm. It's not easy, but recognizing your weaknesses is half the battle. Yeah. And understanding Jeff Bezos once said, unlike baseball, when I hit a grand slam, I don't get four runs. I hit 10,000 runs. But it's snowing. They failed at a lot of things. Listen, you think Amazon didn't fail nine out of 10 times on most of the things they rolled out? Home services for Amazon home services have failed three times. So, but you don't need everything to work perfectly, but you can't be afraid to try. One question I have before we close out, and then I'm going to ask a few closing
0: questions. And we'll go over for, and those of you that have hung with us this long, uh, and I know we've not taken, I appreciate it. So I hope it's been valuable (laughs) and we will, uh, we have a bunch of people on so this is good.
1: So I don't know how you do it. You take a, a year sabbatical. My brain functions. When I go to an, pick up an ice cream cone, I'm looking at the presentation and it'll just remind me of, oh my gosh, we need to wrap the rollers in something more. And I never call it a roller. I call it a self-lubricating, lifetime warranted 12-bearing machine-press roller. So I get all these ideas from all these other things. And I can't imagine just being away saying, pfft but also you have this other business that's helping recovery. So, and I know you're not just doing one thing and, and neither am I really, but Rogers is my main, main focus. How do you do
0: that? How do you just say, yeah, it's handled. I don't know if I could summarize in like a minute, you know, how I do it. I just do it. And so I wake up every day. I bumble my way through life and I do my best to do what I can. And I read and I listen and I learn. I always try to approach it from a beginner's mind. And I, try to intuitively think about, is this a good thing to do? And I'm willing to uh, make mistakes. I'm willing to uh, learn. You know, life is the only thing worth living for. And I don't expect life to be perfect. And I also try to look for the the joy in the mundane. And I also know, uh, I'm not going to change the world, the world. When I die, the world's may, some parts may be better without me and other parts, who you knows? some people will be sad, but you know, you're at a funeral and it's, you know, there's a point where you're, I don't like going to funerals. You know, I was just one of the dear friends a couple of weeks you ago. Tell. What's that? Is that in Utah? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a point where everyone's like, let's go have lunch. You know, life goes on. And so, you know, my friend Dave Kekage said things are seldom as bleak as they seem when they're going wrong or seldom as great as they seem when they're going well, lighten up, you'll live longer. And that's coming from a guy that's paralyzed from the chest down, that was a multimillionaire in his mid thirties and a beautiful girlfriend house on Huntington beach, all the external trappings of wealth. And in a freak accident, lost his ability to walk, never had sex again, never had children, took an hour to two hours every day to get out of bed. You know, I have people like Sean Stevenson, who was my best friend that died. I didn't take the sabbatical because I was inspired. I took the sabbatical because I had a breakup. I had several friends die. There was a lot of pain. And, you know, so oftentimes there's things that force you to take a look at stuff. And when things seem really shitty and really difficult, I also have now learned that in the moment when things suck, it's life's way of saying, pay attention physical pain, mental pain, sometimes you can't always get out of it. But I'll tell you how I do it all. I just do the best I can. And I listen to people that are smart. I try to stay connected. If there's one word that I'm all about is connection. You know, I do it. If I become disconnected, my life sucks. But in the middle of busyness or boredom or mundaneness, if I start feeling shitty or I'm not doing well, if I can just connect myself, and oftentimes that's yoga, cold plunges, saunas, talking to a friend, you know, helping others that need help it's the connection that always brings me back that's my north star
1: okay i'm gonna go through speed rounds how do people get a hold of you Henry? Well, you gotta read well, this book what's yeah, in it for read, me. read
0: my book what's in it for them and and certainly i don't want to just have people talk to me because i've you know there needs to be a process uh jonesfreebook.com right. is a, a great if someone doesn't i love money if someone wants to join genius network you have to make at least a million bucks a year it's a high level group you're in the group there's a lot of amazing people in the group uh, most of the people that benefit from this stuff is uh, is don't give me anything because they're not at that level. So Joe Polish is my site. It's my Instagram. It's my social, although I don't really like social media that much. I'll say this. So, so yeah, joesfreebook.com. I give away a book called Life Gives from the Giver. That's good. You can download it for free. It's awesome. You'll love it. If anyone's struggling with addiction, it's all free. We don't charge for anything. One day we may put together recovery kits that will be donations if people can't afford it though. My goal is to just put out information to help people because a lot of people struggling with addiction, they don't have financial resources. So GeniusRecovery.org, the starting point for that is uh, read the open letter there. And we have a blog that's written twice a week by one of the top therapists, not written by AI, even though we are building Genius Recovery all into AI so people can just ask questions on where to go, where to start, how to get help. And so that is uh, my foundation. And if anyone's ever in the Arizona area, come visit my 40-acre ghost town called Cleeter, Arizona. I need to go there.
1: Last thing, and we are done. We're over time. Joe's going to be at Freedom Event, freedomevent.com, November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Orlando. He's speaking there. And everybody, man, everybody was crying in the audience saying, man, I do have a problem. And I didn't even really realize it. And I got something I got to face. And you put it all out there. And you know home service. So is this like the perfect match. I know you haven't really thought about it because it's November. Well, what are the, some of the things? You love home service. That's where you got your start. What mm-hmm. is something they could expect in Orlando here, November 1st, 2nd,
0: and 3rd? I'm going to share how to put more intensity into the work you're doing anyway. You're going to wake up every day. We all have the same 24 hours as everybody else. It's what we do with it and the leverage we get out of it. So how to get more out of the time that you have. By doing less. So it'll be a mix of elegant ideas. How do you solve one problem that solves 10 problems, 50 problems and subtraction? You know, how do you multiplication by subtraction? How do you make more money by doing less shit, by doing less of the dumb shit and doing more of the stuff that actually works? So now that we've had this as a setup and I have this big group of binders over here and all of this wisdom that I have, I'm also going to have for everybody that signs up for your event, we'll give them a control tool audit. And that is all the kinds, when they need more business, it is filled with all kinds of stuff that you can do to generate business. The media, the use, the cost, the ROI, if you're successful, how do you automate it, what are the comparisons, what are the anomalies, and changes to make. So that I'll create a special uh, control tool audit for your group of people. This alone will be worth the cost of admission for anyone that comes to it. And I'll get that to every one of your uh, people that come to the event. And that'll be helpful to everybody, and it'll make them a lot of money.
1: Well, if Richard Brantz is listening to him, you guys should come watch him, too. Well, thanks, Joe. Thank this you, This is God. awesome. Yeah. Time flies. I thought that was like literally 30 minutes. How long did we go? Hour and a half, so 90 minutes. Yeah. Hey there, thanks for tuning into the podcast today. Before I let you go, I want to let everybody know that Elevate is out and ready to buy. I can share with you how I attracted a winning team of over 700 employees in over 20 states. The insights in this book are powerful and can be applied to any business or organization. It's a real game changer for anyone looking to build and develop a high performing team, like over here at A1 Garage Door Service. So, if you want to learn the secrets that help me transfer my team from stealing the toilet paper to a group of 700 plus employees rowing in the same direction, head over to elevateandwin.com forward slash podcast and grab a copy of the book. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch up with you next time on the podcast.